welcome to week four of the Beyond Limits class. And I'm super excited to wrap this up today. Not excited to wrap it up. I love doing it, but excited about the topic tonight, which we're calling Jesus, our advocate, and then also engaging divine power. So there's kind of going to be a, a little bit of a, of a hard right, but it all uh, flows into what we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks. So just to recap real quick and get our minds back in this into this narrative of the Lord Yahweh, our creator, our, our father in heaven, the one who loves us and invites us into relationship with him. He enters into, into places and he fills them and he invites people into relationship with him. And then he, from that invites us to partner with his heart's desire for us and for the world, for his will. And so we know that Jesus goes on to say that we ought to pray your will on earth as it is in heaven. And God wants to do something in us and he wants to do something through us. This is our destiny that we are conformed to the image of the likeness of the son. And then that we walk in the good works that have been prepared for us before the foundations of the earth as we walk in Christ Jesus. And so we're in relationship with the father and we are living out the mission that he's called us to each one living out a specific destiny based on what he has prepared beforehand. And then he sends his Holy spirit to live inside of us and to transform us, to empower us visions, dreams, miracles, showing us the behind the veil of what's happening in the spiritual as we walk out here on the earth and the physical. And then he commands angel armies to come and support us in the mission and the work that he's called us to do uh, all the while encouraging us and loving us and treating us as sons and daughters. And uh, man, it's such an amazing, amazing life to be a part of. And so one other thing I want to tackle tonight and what kind of makes this a foundational class for the intro to engaging heaven classes. One of the things that you'll learn right out of the gate in the intro to engaging heaven class is the courts of heaven. So a lot of people will hear this for the first time and they will immediately begin to question, where is the scripture that talks about these things? And Interestingly, or not really, but it, it's all over scripture. And there is this idea that within the scriptures, there are all of these terms that are essentially legal terms that have been interpreted into English words that have somewhat lost the value, I, I would say, in showing us this thread that's woven throughout the scriptures. Um, we all know that we see Yahweh as judge, and a lot of people put a lot of emphasis on judgment, the last day, and the great white throne, and all of these people gathered for the great judgment. But what we've seen throughout scripture that we get little instances and little flashes of Yahweh on his throne and all throughout scripture, we hear things about 
the divine council and we hear things about the, you know, in his courts and his judgments and his justice and his mercy. And we hear all these things and somehow we maybe haven't captured the entire narrative of, of this kind of legal system that exists in the heavenlies and how Yahweh functions. And so, um, I put in our notes a resource that is a it's a, a PDF. It's called the Hebrew Streams Divine Council PDF, and I don't have enough time within the hour to kind of show you an exhaustive list of all of the ways that we see Scripture talking about the judge and the council and the way that the Lord enacts justice and may, renders judgments and these kinds of things. But one of the things we, we have to establish and understand right out of the gate that, yes, Yahweh is judge, and he is ruling, and he is reigning, and he sits with a heavenly council, and he makes decisions, and there are courts, there are things that are taking place where he's, he's, um, he's rendering those judgments. And so this PDF that I just shared in the, in the comments and that first link there in your, in your notes that are called divine council PDF, this is a, uh, a resource that I found online and I found it one night at like 1215 at night. And man, I read probably till about 1.30, 2.30 in the morning. And I just don't do that. But I was so interested in what this individual did and basically made a case for, um, it's a thesis. So probably in seminary, went through and did an exhaustive study on the divine counsel within the Hebrew Bible. That's you know, just the, um, the old Testament. And so we get all these images, but for some reason we seem to have lost that when we, we dive into the new Testament and, and, you know, here in Western Christianity, we lose some of that stuff, but you know, I, I think we can all agree that Yahweh is judge, but what I want to do now, I want to establish, um, Christ as our advocate and so if there's judgment to be made, then, and we think about litigation and courtrooms and, and verdicts and people be being acquitted and people being accused and, and condemned and sentenced, um, just all of these words that wrap around this entire legal system, we find a lot of this stuff in scripture. And so I, I want to paint this picture. So as we are in relationship with Yahweh, we're living out mission on earth. We have to know that as we do this, we do the Lord's will that adversity is going to come against us. It's not just we're going to go do these things and then not have anybody try and stop that or, or make that um, something that doesn't happen. Uh, we know that we have an adversary, the enemy. And so the adversary will come and adversity will come. But to kind of give away the ending, we know that Jesus is our advocate and in him we are not guilty. 
We are free from the law of sin and death. We are forgiven our sins. We're sons. We're in right standing with the Father. All of our debt has been paid. Our sins have been atoned for. And we get to exist in this love relationship with Yahweh and live out his will. But there's still things that are coming against that. And there is a, a spiritual battle, a supernatural battle that is taking place, right? A war of the worlds, essentially, behind this this veil, this physical veil, there's a spiritual battle that's taking place. I think we've all heard that. And part of what I want to do tonight is instead of thinking about, you know, a lot of us, we try and fight the war from the ground, but truly this is a, a battle from the air where we have the high ground on the enemy and we have already won and there's a way to engage that victory. But I want to flesh out this ad adversary situation, which we'll find out is Satan. And then this advocate, which is Christ. And then how that kind of culminates into this courts of heaven situation and the way that the Lord is, um, making judgments about the things that are taking place on earth. Okay. So let's dive in. Ephesians six twelve says for our struggles, not against flesh and blood, but against rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So a lot of times, and especially with what's going on in the world right now, we like to try and find a culprit. And we like to try and find the guilty party. And it's, it, most of the time, many of us are prone to put that guilt and that blame on a person that has flesh and blood. But what scripture tells us right out of the gate is that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, right? The Lord has called us to be his advocate. As we see in, I believe, 1 Corinthians, it's saying as though the Lord is pleading through us. We are ambassadors of Christ, and it's as, as though God is pleading through us to reconcile all of humanity to himself. And we are the witnesses. We're the ones that are pleading. We're heralding the gospel. We're crying out to have people come and be a part of his kingdom to be redeemed and rebirthed and restored and loved, right? So why would we make the ones whom we're trying to save the ones that are our enemy scripture corrects this notion. And it says that we don't struggle against flesh and blood. They are not the enemy. The enemy are the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So if there is a heavenly realm and there is an enemy within that heavenly realm, we cannot fight that battle from the ground. We cannot try and use earthly means to attack and come against heavenly realm enemies. We've got to take it to the sky, <laughs> essentially. Revelation 12.10 says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah, Right. So what do we have? Salvation, power and authority in the kingdom through Messiah, Yeshua, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. So there will come a time where the accuser can accuse no longer. But scripture saying that we have an accuser. 
We have an adversary, one who is bring, bringing accusation against our brothers and sisters, against the children of Yahweh. And he's standing in the heavenly realms before our God day and night saying, he's guilty of this. She's guilty of that. He's guilty of this. Guilty, guilty, sinners, sinner, guilty, guilty, sinner. Day and night without ceasing. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, Satan, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Satan is looking to devour, to con completely consume to the point of death, to feed his agenda and his ego and his, his kingdom. He's looking for our brothers and sisters to devour. He is day and night accusing us and our brothers and our sisters. As we journey this earth and we live in relationship and we are, we are living out the mission of Yahweh for our lives, there is constant attack coming at us and coming around those that we love. And if you've ever seen one of your brothers or sisters like beaten down in a spiritual fashion, you know, we, it, sometimes we're overcome by the oppression. Sometimes it takes a toll on us and it is not easy, right? Have you ever seen somebody who's just, they're in ministry, but they're just worn out and you're saying, man, what's going on? They're just like, I'm just tired of being beat down. You know, I'm oppressed. I've, I've got these thoughts these accusations, right? Here's the thing, like Satan's accusing us before Yahweh. And a lot of us, we hear those accusations and we think it's us. And the Lord's given us insight, right? Like we're able to hear and perceive through in the spiritual, the accusation that's coming at us. But what he's done is he's twisted that to making us think that it is our own. And so the accusation and the condemnation and the lies that are happening we begin to own those and we begin to believe those. And it's a, it's a rough place to be, but the truth is that we don't have to stay there and the Lord doesn't allow us to stay there. He is our rescuer. He says, I have come to set the captive free and I've come to rescue the oppressed. And so he loves us so much to hear our cry when Yahweh comes to Moses in the desert, he says, I've heard the cry of my people. And Robert Jordan has a really good teaching on this about the, the mother part of God, basically saying enough is enough. Mama's coming. <laughs> and this is how Yahweh is. Sometimes enough is enough. He says, no, justice must prevail. And he comes and he rescues the oppressed and he rescues the slave. And so as we are oppressed, and accused, there is a way to deal with that. And the Lord has provided it for us. So this word adversary, when we look it up in the Greek, because I like to do that. And honestly, I mean, you know, the New Testament was written in Greek. And so we get a little bit more insight into the, into the language that was used to try and paint this picture of what's actually happening with what Christ has come to do and how he's dethroned, <laughs> um, how he's broken the power of sin and death. 
Um, and he becomes the advocate in the way of where we have an adversary. So anti-dikos is a technical legal term used in antiquity. So it's an older word. It's a, a word from the ancient world, one that would have been commonly understood and accepted of an adversary in a courtroom, someone seeking official, formal, and binding damages. So Satan is this adversary who's going to Yahweh, the judge, and he's bringing cases against brothers and sisters day and night, trying to prove our guilt and get Yahweh to render a judgment that brings about formal and binding damages to where there's a price that must be paid for the damages rendered. This word DK means right or judicial approved. So DK means when a judge has rendered a judgment or a verdict that is right. So the judge has heard the case, looked through the evidence heard all of the testimony and then renders a right judgment according on the evidence that has been brought forth. So what's happening is the adversary is bringing accusation day and night. He's, he's looking to bring formal charges so that we can have to pay for our wrongdoing and pay the debt of the damages rendered. So let me give you scripture that shows one of these situations happening. Zechariah, Zechariah chapter three, and it's going to be verse one through 10 says, then he showed me the high priest, Joshua standing before the angel of the Lord with Satan, the adversary standing at his right side to accuse him. Revelation shows us that Satan, the adversary stands before the Lord and accuses us day and night. Zechariah 3 shows us an instance where Satan is at the the throne accusing one of the people of God. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. May the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Isn't this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? So here's what happens. Satan's bringing accusation and the Lord is testifying to the identity and the purpose of the individual that is being accused. So Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel of the Lord spoke to those standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. And then he said to him, see, I've removed your iniquity from you and I will clothe you with festive robes. So even though Joshua was guilty of iniquity, the Lord removes that and then he clothes them with new identity. There have been people, I know I've experienced this as well. I know many people that are in the Intro to Engaging Heaven class have experienced this, but I've experienced the Lord giving me new robes in the spirit, in the heavenly realm, showing me that he has taken my iniquity and then he's put me in new robes. Now in the vision 
the engaging that I've had, I was just a little boy and my robes were too big, but it was so cute. <laughs> like a child wearing something of their parents that they essentially or eventually would grow into. But the cuteness comes in that they're wearing their parents' clothes and taking on their identity momentarily. And I know that this is what has happened to me. The Lord has given me new robes. He's given me white robes. Scripture tells us, let us settle the matter. Though your sins were as red as crimson, I will make you white as snow. Jesus in Revelation says, I counsel you to buy from me white robes. So we get more scripture that kind of supports this idea. Then I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So a clean turban was placed on his head and they clothed them in garments while the angel of the Lord was standing nearby. Then the angel of the Lord charged Joshua. This is what the Lord of armies says. If you walk in my ways and keep my mandates, you will both rule my house and take care of my courts. I will also grant you access among those who are standing here. So in the heavenly realm, in front of Yahweh with Satan standing there, there's there's adversary happening, adversity happening. There is a coming against seeking to bring formal charges and binding damages based on the sin of one of the servants of the Lord. And the Lord steps in as an advocate, rebukes the adversary, makes that individual not guilty by putting his image and his identity on him and then gives him a purpose and a place in that, in that heavenly kingdom. And then says that I will give you charge to rule my house and my courts. And I will also grant you access among those who are standing here. Who was standing there in the heavenly realm, all of the heavenly beings, all of the beings that we see all throughout scripture being defined and described. And even when there are creatures and things that Yahweh's created that have multiple wings and eyeballs under their wings and angels and the counsel of God. All of the beings in the heavenly realms. So if we want to talk about Yahweh allowing us to interact with and accessing heavenly beings, we get an instance of it here in this scripture. So he goes on to say, listen, high priest Joshua, you and your colleagues sitting before you. Indeed, these men are a sign that I'm about to bring my servant the branch. <clears throat> Notice the stone I've set before Joshua. On that one stone are seven eyes. I will engrave an inscription on it. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. And I will take away the iniquity of this land in a single day. And on that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and his fig tree. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. So what, what Yahweh did in that moment, taking away the iniquity of Joshua before the, before the adversary, he says, guess what? What I just did here is an image of what I'm going to do with Yeshua. And in a moment, all of the sins of the world will be taken away. All of the iniquity of the land will be removed in a moment. He's saying, I am setting before you an advocate who will speak to your not guiltiness, that will speak to your right standing for all people, for all time in a moment. And so that leads me to Christ, our advocate. So if you look at this, uh, if you look at this link that we have here, 
this is a website where someone has kind of outlined all of the scripture or not all the scripture, much of the scripture of talking about Jesus as our advocate. And it would do you well to go back and look at uh, some of those scriptures if you want more of a an, a an exhaustive list and if you want to do a little bit more uh, study on this. And so I see the I see the questions coming in. We'll have to um, address those here at the end. But let me let me continue in this vein. Christ our advocate, first John two one. So Yahweh gives a word and says, Hey, there's gonna be an advocate that's gonna come. I'm gonna send my branch and in a moment he will heal all of the land of their iniquity. And so first John two, one says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. If we do sin, if we are guilty of accusation, still Christ sets us right by his stripes. So let's look at this word advocate. It's the word parakletos and it means from close beside so standing close to us so if there's somebody who is with me and they're a witness to what has happened and what's going on they are parakletos or parakletos they are from close beside me and they can uh, so para means from close beside and kaleo means make a call so what this really means is a legal advocate who makes the right judgment call because they're close enough to the situation. So it's a witness and a legal advocate who can testify to the situation. So parakletos is an advocate or an advisor helper. And it's the regular term in the new Testament that uses the word attorney or lawyer someone giving evidence that stands up at court. So this is the Greek definition of Christ, our advocate or, or the word advocate. So we've got adversary who's trying to bring formal charges. And then we have an advocate who is there, a lawyer who is our defense lawyer who comes in and says, let me present the evidence for the innocence of the individual that you are accusing. This is all scripture. So if we look at this, we have this narrative that's happening where there's all this courtroom jargon and this is ancient courtroom jargon. The idea of courts and judges and lawyers and advocates and innocent and guilt, that's not some 20th or 20, 21st century idea where we have courts and systems and governing bodies and councils rendering judgments in our local precincts and districts. Like that's not a new concept. This is an ancient idea. And where do you think it came from? It came from the ancient beings, the ancient ones. It came from Yahweh who exists in this way. And we know that he has this thing where he takes shadows of what's in heaven and he brings it down to earth. And so the kingdoms that have been set up on earth when Israelites cried out for a king and he set a king before them, that kingdom situation, the king on the throne rendering judgments, hearing uh, accusation, Moses did it. He sat before the millions and acted as judge according to the law, rendering what is right, who was innocent, who was guilty, making the judgments. That all comes from heaven. 
And for some reason, we see it on earth, and then we just forget that that's how Yahweh's functioning. We forget all this stuff. We forget, we, we've, I don't know, it's just out of sight, out of mind, I don't know what it is. Sorry, I'm not trying to get upset about it. I'm just passionate about this. Like, we have to see this. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Having been guilty of sin, taking on the debt of having to pay death for our sins, for the wages of sin is death. We have the guilt. We have the debt. It needs to be paid for. There's a record of debt that stood against us legally. Christ, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So if you can just imagine a court filing room, now everything's done most of everything is done digitally these days. I know there's still paper records, but if you can imagine the boxes and the boxes and the boxes of records of judgments and debts and fines and things, statements and verdicts that have come through court systems for years and years and years and years and years, thousands of years. If you put all of those documents in a room, what do you think that would look like? There's paper everywhere and there are names According to the cases, and there are judgments and verdicts and debts and fees and fines, and all of that exists, and those debts had to be paid, and that record stands. And so just imagine this, what this may look like in the heavenlies. And Christ, our advocate, our lawyer, on the cross, has taken those records of debt, and he nailed them to the cross and he disarmed the rulers and authorities. So our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but the rulers and the authorities and the powers of the dark world. Jesus has disarmed them and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Romans 8.34, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no record of debt. There is no debt to be paid. There is no sin to be atoned for. There is no guilt. There is no shame. There is no power of sin and death over those who are in Christ Jesus. And he stands at the right hand of God interceding for us saying there is no accusation that can be brought by the adversary requiring and demanding a, a debt to be paid for the damages rendered. Christ is day and night interceding for us at the right hand of God standing there at the throne where Satan is there accusing the brothers and sisters. So where there is accusation, there is our advocacy, canceling out the accusation for all time, for all people. Romans 3, 24, they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption in Christ Jesus. So we are justified. Let's look at this work, this word, Dekayu, that's how you say it. 
And the word means I make righteous. I defend the cause of. I plead for the righteousness or the innocence of the acquitted. I justify. Hence, I regard as righteous. So we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So Christ as our advocate is the one that comes and he says, I'm making you righteous, even though you were guilty. Though you were as red as crimson, I have made you white as snow. It is my work. It is no work of your own. It is by no advocacy of your own. It is not by any evidence that you can present. It's not by trying to defend your cause or defend your innocence or trying to prove your innocence or bring up a ne- or witness or testify or anything. Jesus is the one that advocates and says, I make you righteous. I defend your cause. I plead for your righteousness. I plead for your innocence. I'm the one that brings your acquittal. I'm the one that regards you as righteous. And so what an amazing situation, an amazing scenario. I mean, this is the gospel, right? This is the good news of Christ Jesus. That while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And he did that to advocate for our innocence because he loves us so deeply. And so where there's an accuser, where there's powers and principalities, where this stuff is taking place, Christ has stepped in to advocate for our innocence. And so we are not guilty. We stand innocent before the Lord because of the testimony of Yahweh, or excuse me, Yeshua. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father testifying to our innocence because of what he did for us. And it's by no work of our own. It's by no power of our own. We're saved by grace through faith, not by work so that any man can boast, not so I can bust in the courtroom and present evidence and say, I'm not guilty. And then the court says, Oh, Hey, he presented the evidence. He's not guilty. We can't there. That's impossible for us. It's Yahweh who stepped in. He always say this. It's like, Gospel 101, Christ has done for us that which we could not ever do for ourselves. So, thinking about the things that are taking place in the heavenly realm, the accusations, the advocacy, we can know if we're ever led to step into that place, if the Lord ever removes the veil from our eyes and our spirit and gives us insight into the things that are happening within the courts of heaven before the council of Yahweh, before the throne of God, when there's adversity coming our way, we know that there's an advocate no matter what. And in Christ, through his testimony about us, we can know that we always get a not guilty verdict. And so I want to, transition a little bit right now into this idea of engaging divine power. I've spent quite a bit of time hammering down on this, this advocacy, um, situation, but, uh, let's look at second Corinthians 10, three through four. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does, right? So we know that we can't take an earthly stance against a heavenly battle. Super simple. Though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. 
So divine power is power from heaven, heavenly power. How do we engage that heavenly divine power in order to demolish these strongholds? Well, I went to a huge prayer gathering in DC a couple years ago with my wife and the, the DC mall was shut down for three, three days and three nights. And there were tents set up for each state and there was prayer and worship happening 24 seven. And I had somebody ask me to press in to the Lord about prayer for Kansas and what prayer for Kansas should look like. And so I was there one night, I was sitting on the lawn, I'm listening to worship happening. And I just say, okay, Lord, what do you want to show me about prayer for Kansas? And the Lord gave me a prayer strategy. Um, he just started showing me all these different things and I wrote them all down. I took my notes out, I typed it out and then I brought it back home and I pressed into it a little bit more. I fleshed out this document that's been sitting in my Evernote for the last two or three years, however long it's been. And it has just sat there. And when I was engaging over and praying about this class, the Lord brought that back to me. And so I want to share that with you. And so one of the things that the Lord was showing me about prayer was that um, essentially we should see prayer in a way that we are filing grievances in heaven and petitioning the Lord. So Philippians 4, 6, right? Why do we pray? Why do we pray? We pray because we're grieved by a situation. Why do we ask the, of the Lord of things? Because there is, an, there is something that we're trying to get insight about. We're saying, hey, here's a scenario that exists. I would like insight into that scenario. Here's a scenario that exists. It's not sitting well in my heart and my mind. I feel like it's disrupting my peace or the, your, your heart and your desire for people. It's going against the Father's heart and the Father's desire. I'm, I'm feeling like this isn't your will. And so let me press into that. Let me communicate with you and talk about this situation. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't be anxious about anything. All right, great. So don't be anxious about anything. Anxiety means being pulled in multiple directions. So the Lord wants us to have whole, like a wholeness in our thinking about everything. And how do we get that? We get that from him. And so scripture tells us by prayer, by communication with the Lord and petition with thanksgiving, it's the trifecta, prayer, petition, thanksgiving, we present our request to God. And so essentially this word petition is a word that again, we've kind of missed the legal situation behind it. If somebody presents that they want to raise a park and put a parking lot in my city, and I disagree with that idea, I can go to city council, I can go to the local authorities and I can present a petition that says, I want, I desire to see a different outcome for this park and for this scenario. I desire to see change. I would like for this to be a different situation. So here's what's happening. Through prayer and communication with God, we look around and we see scenarios. And Yahweh will communicate his heart, his mind, and his desire for that situation. We discern his will for that scenario. And after we do that, we then submit a petition to partner with him. We take it to the court and we say, this is what needs to happen. We submit that to him. We file that grievance with the Lord in heaven. And then with thanksgiving, we present that. And basically we're saying, you're not okay with this. I'm not okay with, with this. I move to correct this on earth so it may be as it is in heaven. The grievances will stem from the Father's heart. It doesn't sit well with you. It doesn't sit well with me. We ask for his heart towards the situation. 
Help me to see through your eyes. Help me to understand your heart for what you would like to happen. And then we pray for an issue of compliance, basically saying your will on earth as it is in heaven. And we proclaim that and we partner with it. And we rule as priests and kings interfacing with Yahweh, communing with Yahweh, and then as kings living out and working out his will on earth as we declare and partner with his laws and his desires for the earth. And then we bring our amen. In Jesus' name I pray. We say this all the time kind of as a sign-off, but the word amen means let it be so. And so we add our amen. We add our agreement to God's will in heaven to make that manifest on earth. Another way that we divine, we engage this divine powers through repentance and confession. Daniel 9 says we've sinned and done wrong. We've been wicked. We've rebelled. We've turned away from your commands and laws. So Daniel's interceding for the sin that has taken place among the people in the land in the same way, <clears throat> excuse me, that Christ intercedes. First uh, John 1 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So repentance and confession, going before the Lord, changing our mind, allowing him to change our heart, change the way we think about sin. I don't like this sin. I would like this to change. We bring that to him. We confess there's a judgment of not guilty and he's faithful to forgive us and then go on to purify us by the power of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Um, we admit where we've aided the enemy in his pursuits and we break agreements with the kingdom of the enemy. Romans 12, two, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so where have we conformed to the pattern of the world? Where have we partnered with the enemy? We go in and we break those covenants that we've made by partnering with Satan and his work. We go in, we confess that we repent, we break the covenant. We get the divorce decree as you'll hear. Um, we are divorced from that situation where we're no longer legally bound. The Lord advocates on our behalf. We're set free. We're forgiven. And um, we're brought back into right standing. Um, we can tear down demonic influence and reclaim territory like Jericho. Um, I've talked about how that's possibly times of worship mixed with prayer, a call to worship. That's how I fight my battles. That song, we worship. Um, we are going and going before the Lord and we are breaking strongholds, divine power, casting down strongholds, uh, warfare through worship and prophecy, speaking the word of the Lord, speaking forth and declaring into the earth, the commands of heaven as he leads us by his spirit. Um, we can go after legal blockades, financial limitations and worldly concerns by fighting the heavenly battle from the sky, from the air, and not from the earth. And then we can pray, excuse me, and um, exercise power from the kingdom over earthly political powers, city officials, organizational leaders. It's not that we're coming against people, it's we're coming against the system that has been set up that allows these people to exist in power. It's like if the Lord wants to do something in a city and there's a corrupt mayor who's, you know, keeping things from happening, we can go fight that battle. Lord, your will for this. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it here. You, you've commanded it in heaven. It will happen on earth. Your word does not go forth um, without accomplishing what it is accomplished or, um, excuse me, meant to accomplish. 
there's a prayer that erects <clears throat> and fortifies walls. And so we can ask for and acknowledge heavenly assignments of angels. We talked a lot about this, but whatever the Lord desires to protect, he will protect. He has sent angels to destroy cities, but he's also sent angels to protect cities. He's also sent heavenly armies to protect people in the physical of the things that were happening in the physical. Um, we can pray, commune, and engage with the Lord uh, over uh, pray against speed bumps, anxieties, worries, doubts, troubles, anything that comes our way as we're living out this mission, we could go to him, the one who renders all judgments and sees all things and execute, executes his will on earth. We can take those to him and say, there's a blockade here. I'm having this worry. I'm having this doubt, I'm having these troubles. And you fight that battle using divine power that demolishes strongholds, right? Um, another thing I wanted to just hit on real quick is that we have Part of this prayer strategy, this div engaging divine power is that some people have been set up as watchmen to sit on a wall, to spiritually have eyes to see and know the strategy of the enemy and the approaching of the enemy as he's coming. Um, my wife is a watchman over the source Wichita and over the city of Wichita, and she sees what the enemy's trying to do, and she engages divine power from the heavenlies getting the will of the father, standing in authority over the rulers and the authorities that Jesus has. We've been given his authority to stand over that. And so first Peter again says, be sober minded, be watchful. The adversary is prowling around so we can spiritually discern and watch and be sober minded, seeing what the enemy's doing and attacking that from the place where the enemy functions, which is in the spiritual realm. Ezekiel 33, seven says, so you, son of man, I've made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear my word from my mouth, you shall give them a warning from me. And so it's staying in constant relationship with Yahweh, hearing what he has to say, and then being the one to speak that out and give warning. And so, oh man, so much. There's so much to be said about all of this stuff. And I, I think it's kind of hard to cram it all in, but I think, with all of this information, a, a scriptural foundation has been set for how things function in the heavenlies, how things function beyond the limits that we've placed on our brains, beyond the limits of the physical that we've seen, right? We've got this huge image, I believe over week one, two, three, and four, this huge image of the narrative of Yahweh and how he's invited us into this. We're a part of it. There are things coming against us, but in no way, shape or form have we been left powerless or weaponless to journey this earth and this life. And I think that as Christine teaches the intro to engaging heaven class, her heart is to actually take the step from just maybe understanding the narr the narrative and seeing the possibilities to actually stepping into doing it. Not just saying, oh yeah, that's a cool concept. But if we're really in the battle, we need to be engaging these things. We need to be seeking and looking and asking and doing as the Lord leads and guides us. And we come with the heart of a child and we say, all things are possible for him who believes. Let us come and let us just be like a child and receive the love and 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 the direction, the kindness, the the authority, the oversight, the parenting, uh, the direction of, of our God in heaven. 
who has set all of this up and sees all things and is in all things and is moving through all things and reconciling all things to himself and inviting all of us to engage in all of these things, engaging divine power, engaging heaven, engaging Yahweh, engaging relationship. Um, it, I believe it just all, it all ties together. 